Hey, Darren Walters on the drums today. I was having, I had a flashback, my brother. I was flashing, flashing back to uh, Dowdy Street and uh, that dude's still able to, uh, he's a senior citizen now, aren't you? Almost a senior citizen. And yet he can still play the drums. So, I mean, incredible. Thanks, Darren, for filling in. We, we appreciate that. Uh, so last week we started into this idea of what it means to uh, follow Jesus as a, as a disciple. We used the verse uh, from Matthew chapter 7, verses, uh, verses 13 and 14 from Matthew 7 that say, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We were pointing out that uh, there, was, there are two gates, there are two roads, there's two groups of people, there's two destinations, and, and really, bigger than anything else, we were pointing out that there are characteristics of people that choose each of those roads. And we obviously, uh, because we believe Jesus, in fact, he says it there in verse 13, he says, choose the narrow road. And so we were beginning to unpack what does it look like to be on the narrow road. And there are more than six marks of a Christ follower. I have chosen six that we've spent, are going to spend last week and this week with, but it would be short-sighted to say, well, there's only six things. If you master these six, you're, you got it made. There are, there are many things that would characterize a, a follower of Christ, but I have highlighted uh, six of them. And so last week we talked first and foremost about a transformed heart, that at the, at the very spiritual center of who I am, my heart has to be transformed by the presence of of God in my life. And this is not something that I can do for myself. This is something that God does in me. As I surrender my life to Him, He begins to change my heart. And we talked about what it looks like to have a changed heart, but in particular, I highlighted from the book of Ezekiel the fact that there was a promise from God that God was going to take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh and was really even prophesying the coming of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and this opportunity to have a, a changed and transformed heart. And then I, I mentioned that we need a transformed mind. The follower of Christ has a transformed mind and that the Word of God, a focus on the Word of God and, and allowing the Word of God to soak into us and to meditate and study and let the Word of God change my mind. And we have control over this. This is something that we have control over. We can uh, keep track of what we are exposing our mind to, what we allow our eyes to see, what we allow our ears to hear, where I'm tuning in the television set, where I'm going when I'm on my computer. Those kinds of things are going to impact my mind and my, my mind needs to be transformed by the presence of God, most importantly through uh, His Word. And then thirdly, we talked about transformed desires. That we need to learn true contentment. That when a person comes to be a follower of Jesus, we understand true contentment, that I no longer am striving for certain things, and we'll talk a little bit more about this this morning, but my desires change. When I, when I submit my life to Christ, he, be, my, he begins to change what I want. What I want becomes what He wants. And so we finished last week by saying that disciples are followers of Jesus. We've turned from from our old way of living, from our sinful way of living, we've turned and put our trust in Jesus as our Savior. We're, we're saying no to ourself. We're dying to ourself. We've surrendered our lives to, to Jesus as Lord. 
And now Jesus lives in us by His Holy Spirit, and He's changing us, just like we just got done singing, from the inside out, changed from the inside out. So I want to remind you that this last week and this week is not about making you feel guilty about how you don't measure up or things that you need to get figured out. It's not about guilt. I'm not trying to create doubt in your mind as to whether you are a a Christ follower or not. That's not my intention. Uh, I think what it is, quite the opposite, is to challenge us to be excited about what God wants to do in me. That when I submit my life to God that he wants to change me and and it's not something that I need to fear it's not something that I need to dread it's something I can get excited about because God wants to change me from the inside out and if anything it should cause us at least to do some self-evaluation to ask ourselves some questions about where where am I in this process where am I as I think about following Jesus how am I doing where do I need to to uh, work on some things and and that's it I'm not trying to to make you feel uh, guilty that that's not that's not what this is about I want us to be excited about following the Lord together so as I illustrate these s- second group of three marks of a Christ follower I've chosen three characters from the New Testament that I believe illustrate these characteristics now you're going to see some overlap you're going to say well hey you chose so and so and I and I see that char- you know some other characteristics in his life I hope so you should hopefully see all six of these characteristics that we've talked about in their, in their life. So you will see some overlap this morning. So the, the fourth, first for this morning, but the fourth mark of a Christ follower is transformed priorities. Transformed priorities. Now one thing I've observed, and I've had some conversations over the last week or so regarding priorities and that I've observed that often our priorities get hijacked by the, the busyness of life. In other words, we'll say, this is, I mean, my priorities are, and you, maybe you could list them one to five. These are the top five priorities in my life. This is what I want to build my life on. And I would, I would have no reason to doubt you if you told me that, that those were your priorities. I would believe you. But I think many of us would say, if, if someone followed us around for a week or so, they, we might be a little bit humbled that a lot of times those priorities don't, don't maybe show up like we wish that they, they would. Because life happens. We get busy with work. We get busy with kids. We get busy with things that become a distraction. We get busy with things that don't matter, quite honestly. And our priorities kind of get shoved down the list. So uh, what I want to suggest is that what sometimes happens is that we ascribe ultimate value to things that were not intended to have that level of value in our life. And so we start building our life around a particular activity or a particular thing in our, in our life, and it becomes something that controls us. Even though it was not intended to bring satisfaction or meaning to our life, but we're giving ultimate value to something that was not intended to do so. And that's how our, our lives get hijacked, our priorities get hijacked by the things of this world. I was, as I was doing some surfing this week, I came across a business website that had uh, something to say about priorities. Now this was for a business, it's not, it was not a church website, it was not a Christian website, it was 
solely talking about businesses. But this is what it said about businesses and their priorities. Listen to what it said. Most companies believe that they have cultural priorities, but they are often more theory than reality. The proof of a company's cultural priorities is in what leaders talk about and what employees do on a daily basis. That's when you know what priorities, if any, are truly embedded in the culture. I believe we could say that about our own walk with the Lord. We could say that about our own church. We can talk about priorities. We can talk about cultural values. We can talk about the things that we want to be present in our life. But the, but the truth is, it's what happens day in and day out. It's what I, how I live my life on a daily basis. It's who I turn to. It's what I turn to. It's, it's how I live my life that is really going to reflect my priorities, my values uh, in, that, that are present uh, in, in my life and in the culture of, of a church. So I want to suggest that when we think about transformed priorities, that followers of Christ are, first of all, generous. And second of all, they consider others. And I'd like us to look at Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bible this morning, if you'd find Acts chapter 4, I'd appreciate it. And we're going to look at verse 32 and following of Acts chapter 4. And this is a snapshot of the early church. And when we think about transformed priorities and the idea of being generous and about considering others, listen to what was happening in, in the early church. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32, says this. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had Need. I'm going to stop right there for a second. So here we've got this idea of incredible generosity that was springing up. It was, I believe, a natural transformation of priorities that was happening as people were understanding and, and really learning what it meant to live the life of Jesus. And so this generosity flowed almost naturally. Even though it's not natural, it flowed almost naturally from transformed hearts and lives. And then at the very end of that uh, passage in, in Acts 4, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the disciples or who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here we've got Barnabas, the first person, at least by name, that truly lives out the reality of this transformed this idea of transformed priorities, generosity, consideration of others. Barnabas lived it out. It, it's, what, it's what he was about. And later on in the book of Acts, if you want to go a little bit further it, to Acts chapter 9, Barnabas shows up again. And in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul has had his conversion experience where he has met Jesus on the road to Damascus, some of you know that story. He was, had been blinded and he 
Uh, anyway, it's a great story, Acts chapter 9. At the end of Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says this about Paul. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and, and, had, and the Lord had spoken to him. Barnabas, of all people, was willing to come alongside the Apostle Paul when no one else would, when people were afraid of him, Barnabas was willing to step in and make something happen. So, so I believe as we look at the life of Barnabas, we see a, a, a guy that understood what this transformed priorities look like, that there's an, a generosity that springs up. There's a consideration for, other, for others. Followers of Christ also seek God first. They're generous, they consider others, they seek God first. And again, we think about the things that creep into our life, whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whether it's reputation, relationships, whatever it is that would sneak into our life or try to creep into our life to hijack our priorities or to somehow try to give our life value outside of a relationship with God. We're reminded in Matthew 6 that if we seek God first, the rest of those things will take care of themselves. Followers of Christ seek God first. And lastly, followers of Christ have, have an eternal perspective. So our priorities change when we come to know Christ. We're generous. We consider others. We seek God first, and we have an eternal perspective. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that we no longer see things. When our life's been changed, we no longer see things from a human perspective. We now have an eternal view, not just of my own life, but of everybody that I cross paths with. Everybody. Should I see them simply as another human being that walks this earth with me and we happen to cross paths? Or do I see them from the frame or the lens of eternity and recognize that this is an eternal person, an eternal soul that God loves and that Christ died for? So to that end, my priorities are transformed. Number five on our list, transformed relationships. Our relationships are transformed. Followers of Christ live sacrificially with others. Followers of Christ want to encourage others. Followers of Christ seek forgiveness and reconciliation. This is how we live. Our relationships are changed. And when I thought about this, I thought about, again, I went back to the early church and I thought about Acts chapter 15, and I thought in particular about James, who was leading the church in Acts chapter 15. So if you would find Acts 15, we're not going to read the whole story there, but in Acts chapter 15, there's an issue that has popped up. And the church is trying to deal with this issue, and there's, there's been conflict about it, and there's a need to get it all figured out. And it basically had to do with this. If Gentiles come to faith in Jesus, non-Jews, if non-Jews come to faith in Jesus, should we expect them to live as Jews, even though they're Christians now, 
do they have to live like Jews? And some people said, yes, absolutely they have to. This is our tradition. This is what uh, Christianity sprung out of. They need to live this way. And other people were saying, hey, we are, we are free from that, and they should be able to live as followers of Christ just as they are. And so there was this conflict. And it just reminds me in the midst of how this all gets worked out, that when we come to know God in a new way, it should transform how we see our relationships. So, in verse 19 of Acts 15, James listens to both sides of this argument, and he says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in synagogues on every Sabbath. Verse 19, we should not make it more difficult for them to come to Christ. There's a a desire to see reconciliation, to see people come to a relationship with God. Followers of Christ sacrifice for others, they encourage others, they seek reconciliation and forgiveness. Now perhaps some of you saw this week, um, I say perhaps because I happen to see it on my Facebook feed, so I realize some of you are, you know, like Facebook's not your thing. But uh, the Pew Research uh, Company did a poll And one of the things, among other things, that they were asking is they were asking people whether the United States had a responsibility to accept refugees fleeing from their country. And so they, that was one of the questions they were asking. And one of the categories that they scored was white evangelical Protestants. Now, hang on. I'm not, there's a lot of loaded you know, definitions, I'm not sure that I would consider myself an evangelical in whatever definition somebody's using, but I want us to just try to bypass that and listen to what the results were. White evangelical Protestants in the U.S. say uh, 68%, 68% said that the U.S. does not have responsibility to accept refugees. 25%, one, one out of four, said that they did. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that. It's a complex issue, to be sure. But can that really be true? Can it really be true that almost 70% of white Christians would say that their country does not have a responsibility about that? So when I thought about that, and I thought about the change that God is making in our lives as followers of Jesus... And we want to have transformed hearts. We want to have transformed minds. We want to have uh, transformed priorities. We want to have transformed relationships. It should show up in how we live our life and the things that we do and how we interact with those that we have contact with. So I remind you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again, that same passage that talked about eternal perspective. Paul says this, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's what I believe about the follower of Christ. I believe that the follower of Christ should have Jesus living in him to such a degree that wherever I go, wherever we go, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. He flows out of me. He oozes out of me. We bring Jesus with us into those new relationships. And then finally, our sixth mark. Transform purpose. And I, the first person that came to my mind was the Apostle Paul whose purpose was radically changed when he came into a relationship with Jesus. But I would say this about transformed purpose. Followers of Christ, first and foremost, want to worship. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, our natural response is to worship. A few months ago, we talked about worship extensively for four or five weeks. And we use this definition. Worship is the response of our whole being, heart, soul, mind, and strength to knowing God and beholding His glory. When we come to know God and we come to understand God, our, our natural response is worship. Should be worship. As I'm being tra- uh, changed and transformed, that should be showing up in my life. There's a worship leader named Graham Kendrick. Here's a quote from him regarding worship. Worship has been misunderstood as something that rises from feeling which comes upon me or comes upon you. But it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a choice that we make as my heart, as my life, as my mind, as my priorities are transformed, as my purpose changes, my response is worship. Followers of Christ serve. We're following the pattern of Jesus. Jesus lived to serve others. And as our purpose changes, our desire to serve should increase. And followers of Christ have a mission to go and to make disciples. In Acts chapter 9, we see the life of Paul. I think this is the best illustration of this transformation of purpose in Acts chapter 9. And if you remember the life of Paul, if you know anything about his life, you know that he was as passionate and as concerned about the things of God as any one person could be. And when the church sprung up and Christians sprung up, he didn't think it was right. And so he spent... His his purpose in life was to destroy the work of the church. And he was sent from town to town to see that that happened. And on one particular instance, as he was on his way to Damascus to make that happen, he ran into Jesus on the road and had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And some of you could testify, maybe not quite as dramatic as what Paul experienced, But you could talk about in your own life 
a, a life-changing encounter with Jesus that has made your life different. And Paul was never the same. Never the same. He had a new vision, a new mission, a new purpose. Look at the end of Acts, not the end, the end of this passage that I was looking at. Acts chapter 9, verse 14. In Acts chapter 9, verse 14, Ananias has come to Paul and is going to, is going to take uh, care of his blindness. Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus. In verse 14, Ananias says, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Paul's mission, Paul's purpose of life is totally changed as a, as a result of that encounter with Jesus. He has a new purpose. So disciples, followers of Christ, have a mission. And I'm not just talking here about pastors. I'm not talking about missionaries. I'm talking about each of us. As we follow Christ, we have a mission. We have been changed. We have been transformed. And we've been gifted by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life to take the Word, take the presence of God to the world. So I'm going to invite our worship team to make their way uh, up here this morning. As they come, I've got an invitation for you this morning. And that is this. We've looked at six marks of a Christ follower. And it all has to do with transformation. Transformation of heart, of mind, priorities, purpose. There's change that's happening. And so... This morning, I want to encourage you as we, as we finish these two weeks together, just to consider where you stand, where you're at with, with that walk, with that walk of discipleship as you follow Christ. And I want to extend this invitation and, and encouragement to you today. As we sing, we're going to sing again the, together the song that Bobby uh, saying earlier, more like Jesus, less of me, more of Jesus. And if this is where you're at this morning, or if you're just struggling with this, the, the whole idea of what it means to follow Christ, or if there's a particular issue, a barrier in your life that is, is keeping you from fully yielding your life to Christ, I, I would love, while, while we sing, I would love to have you come and pray with me. I've asked Steve Allen, Steve is going to be up here as well, uh, to be available. So that we could just pray for you. It's not, it's not a big deal. We just want, I think it's important that we acknowledge from time to time that I've got work to do. That there's, there's something that's holding me back. And, and maybe with you, that, that's not an issue right now. Maybe you're feeling like, hey, you know what, I'm tracking along pretty good. Man, be praying for others. Because the, the degree to which we can begin to demonstrate the marks of Christ's followers to the world is to the degree that the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is going to get out of these four walls into our community. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And if you need prayer this morning, I'll be here at the front. Steve will be here at the front. As we sing, you come.
and then we'll conclude.